0: Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Amen. So, welcome again. Good evening. let me try it again. Good evening once again. Good, evening. Good. I like a. It's Wednesday night. I'm used to a lot of feedback and sometimes things flying at me. So just kind of keep me on my toes over here. So, welcome to the last Wednesday of our Lenten services. Our Lenten season, 2023. Um, like I said earlier in the service, um, this Sunday we'll be celebrating Palm Sunday, and then we'll be rocking into Holy Week, and so everything that comes along with that. Um, and I'd just like to remind us that we still have some Lenten season here left um, to go, so Lent is a time for us to reflect. I mentioned about that earlier. Reflect on what Jesus has done for us, literally on a personal level. You know, not just an academic, historical level, but on a personal level. So again, for Holy Week, we don't have youth group next Wednesday, but we do have services coming up on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, both of those at 7 o'clock, and um, just just plug in, in here, you know, maybe I'm speaking to the choir, um, but if you've never been to a service like that, if you've never been to a Monday, sur- Thursday service, or a Good Friday service, ask the people who came to the last um, Ash Wednesday service, who may not have come to one of those before, and see if we don't do things just a little bit different here. So kind of come to those because you're missing out on a lot of important stuff that happens um, in the life of Christ, and um, by extension in our lives too. So there's my plug uh, for, the, for the week here. So, okay. Now, so what we've been doing now Recently, uh, if you've not been with us recently on Wednesday nights or on Sunday mornings, we've been talking to, taking a closer look at the names of God, the, the names that God reveals to us in the Bible. And it's important for us to do that. It's an important thing for us to do uh, is to understand Him more so that we can know who it is that we're putting our trust in, who it is that we're putting our faith in. Because if we don't know who God is, how are we supposed to put our trust in him, our faith in him? And so our uh, kind of credibility statement here, the thing that we're going for, um, one of the theme verses for this whole thing is Psalm um, 9, verse 10. It says, those who know your name trust in you. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, um, have never forsaken those who seek you. So those who know your name trust in you. So my job here and my goal here is to get us to know God a little bit better so that we know how to trust him a little bit more and know what he has in store for us. And the question I keep coming back to over the last uh, couple of weeks during this um, series um, is that A.W. Tozer quote, it's this. It says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And like I've said in the past, the more I've read that quote, and the more I've thought about it, and the more I've looked at it, the more um, reality, more true it becomes for me. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing to us. If we think it's just a casual thing that is out on the outskirts of life or over there, well, you know, and, and our sign has reflected that for the last couple of months. People give me a hard time for not changing the sign, but every time I go out to change it, I'm like, this is exactly what I want us and our community to know right? No God, N-O, know God, then we have no peace. If we know God, K-N-O-W, then we know peace. And I'm not kidding, man. I had a lady come up to me and said, she said, it's like, you know, sometimes you get set up on these things and it's almost like, is this a punchline that I'm supposed to be coming up with? She said, I don't know God, and I don't know peace. And I was like, this is exactly what we're talking about here. we got to know who God is so that we can get that peace of Christ that's in us and, and around us. So now, okay, so again, we're, we can't ask this question or look at this, this thing that says, what comes into your mind when you think about God? Without planting some things in our mind that should come to our minds when we do think about God. Um, in the first, one, first name of God we talked about was the, was the name that, um, that God revealed to Moses in that burning bush, right? That Yahweh. That the almost is the breath of life. There it is in Hebrew, Yahweh, right? I mean, that is the Holy One. That is the one who was and is and is to come. And that's what I want to, want to remind you, in case you haven't been around, about that burning bush that Moses was uh, experiencing, right? Moses is a shepherd, very important shepherd. He's got a lot of sheep that he's tending. He's, he's working his own way around, and it's kind of a long story, but he's got a schedule to keep. You can't keep sheep in one place too long because they overgraze, and, and there's no water and everything, so you've got to get to the next grazing spot. You've got to get to the next water hole, so they're keeping a schedule. So he's out here keeping a schedule, just like we do. You know, We've got to be at soccer practice. We've got to be at basketball practice. We've got to be at all these other things, right? We're keeping a schedule. And then he notices something supernatural happening over here, this bush burning, but it's not being consumed by that fire, right? Moses took time out. He literally said these words, I must turn aside. He said, I got to stop what I'm doing, turn aside and go over and look at this bush. And I tell you again, and we should, hopefully you've read this by now to, to fact check me, but that's when God started talking to Moses. When he went over to the bush to investigate, that's when God started talking to him. So oftentimes in you know, our Sunday school, we think about that story that Moses is pumping along, you know, singing Sweet Home Alabama or something. And, then, and the bush calls his name, but that's not what happened. The bush did not call Moses. The bush, God started talking to, to Moses when he went over to investigate. So that's Yahweh, right? Moses said, who am I supposed to tell these people that, that sent me? And God said, tell them I am sent you, the one that was always the one that is presently and the one that always will be that's the name of God that we need to know here so we started series with that name right there so maybe that comes to your mind when you think about God is that what comes to your mind when you think about God the one who always has been right no beginning has always been here the one that is here right now active in our lives and the one that will always be here with us he is eternal was always is right Then we slid into learning how to read the Bible, how to understand God a little bit and how God reveals, literally reveals himself to us so that we can know and we can trust him. That's why God uses those words in the Bible. That's why he gives us the Bible so we can know him better. Mine's all the way across the room. I feel uncomfortable all of a sudden. But here's what I want you to think about, right? Um, Everyone has, has three names, right, at least, right? We got a first name, we got a middle name, we got a last name. And we know when we're in trouble because mom middle names us, right? You don't want to hear that. Oh my goodness, what I do, right? That hasn't always been the case in human history. We haven't always had first, middle, last names in human history. Um, In fact, last names or surnames are are kind of new, historically speaking. They're kind of new, sort of. Um, In fact, um, Okay, so for example, in Roman times, you know, there were really no last names up until Roman times. And then a couple of the politicians got together and said, we got to start differentiating between these people. So they kind of gave last names according to the region that they were from, the region of the world they were going to come from. And that really didn't catch on in the rest of the world until, you historian buffs, probably the 11th century in Europe, didn't, we didn't have last names, we just had names, right? But then uh, Europe started using last names, but the way you got your last name wasn't an exact formula. It wasn't just like we have it now, you know, it's pretty well set up right now. There were four common ways that people got their last name, other than just choosing it for themselves or having somebody choose it for you. One common way was, had to do with your occupation, right? That's where we get names like Baker, we get names like Taylor, we get names like Smith, right? Goldsmith, silversmith, blacksmith, right? So that's one. Your your uh, your occupation. Number two was your location. What what area did you come from? That's where we get names like Moore, right? That's, that means marsh or or hill, or wood or woods. Is in Tiger Woods, right? That's where that last name came from. A third way to do it was uh, about your characteristics, who you were and how you acted. That's why, where we get names like uh, Blunt, Mel Blunt, you know, did all the uh, backups for the Looney Tunes, so it's kind of ironic there, he's not really blunt, he talks a lot. Fox, that's another one. Okay, and then your baptismal name, that's kind of what, more what we're used to. And that's developed into today, what we use today, but it didn't start that way exactly. Basically, right now, it's that you get your parents' last name, your dad's last name, but that wasn't always the case. Um, at different times in different situations, it got kind of complex. Um, your last name might come from your father's first name, like mine originally did, Olson. Right? Um, that's a uh, son of Oli, but I got a couple of maybe great uncles on one side or the other that has the name Oli. So we've had the name Olson for a long time. Um, you can um, you can look at other names like Johnson, Peterson. Um, If you're um, Irish, Fitzpatrick means Patrick's son, uh, Hernandez, if you're, you know, et cetera, things like that. But, okay, now there are also situations where you might use your mom's last name. So you got a house full of people uh, with different last names by design. That's how it was designed and that's how it was going to go. So um, that's kind of Europe. Now, um, in uh, the east, like in Japan, in Korea, last names are, are only common like in the 1900s. That's when the names, last names really started to come into practice, which is kind of ironic because they almost always go by their last name now and then their first name, so it's a little weird. And their names weren't come up like that. They either chose their last name or, um, or magad. you just make it up out of, out of thin air, right? So they chose their last name or they had a priest kind of appoint a name for them, so the priest would give them their last name. Okay, now, why do I tell you that history lesson? Um, because that's how God kind of introduces himself to us in that way, using names like that. And first of all, let's get this out of the way. Um, Jesus doesn't have a last name, right? It's not Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. Christ in the New Testament, we see Messiah in the Old Testament, right? So again, so what Jesus did and what we do with Jesus is what they did in Roman times, right? Jesus of Nazareth, right? So that's the region he's from, that's how it was practiced in Roman times. That's why we call him Jesus of Nazareth, to distinguish, um, Jesus was a very common name back in the day, so distinguish him from um, a different person in a different place. Now if you think about this, and you know, I sometimes have too much time on my hands and I start thinking about things. Now if Jesus um, was named, uh, his last name came from his occupation, right, that may be kind of a dangerous thing, especially those of you who were around in the 70s, because Jesus was a carpenter, right? So he might have been in this group right here. The Carpenters. Thank you. I can't believe you didn't see where I was going with that. Oh, yeah, some of you did see it. All right. Okay, that, of course, is who? That is Karen Carpenter. And who else? Richard Carpenter. I had to look it up. I don't know. (laughs) All right. They made a lot of money on the songs that they were singing. All right. I don't know if I gained or lost respect for people who knew who that was. All right. Again, so what's my point in all this? And these guys are over here. Could you please get to your point right now? As I said before, believe it or not, this is how God introduces himself to us, by using names and by using different last names for himself. So um, we talked a couple weeks ago about how God introduces himself to us, to mankind. And he does it in the first uh, verse, in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1-1. Take a peek. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Is there anybody who doesn't know this one, right? This is almost maybe more common than John three sixteen. right? In the beginning, God, right? This is the Hebrew word, Elohim, right? And it looks like this in a couple of different ways, right? You see it down there in the corner. You see the Hebrew down there in the corner. Through this name of God, we discover his personality. God talks about his personality through Elohim. And this is the, God, this is the name that God used to set up um, how to reveal his other attributes, how to reveal his other attributes. Um, we looked at um, God last week, not only his personality, last week we looked at his position in the universe uh, through his name El Elyon, right? El Elyon means God most high. And as we see El Elyon used in scripture, some of you were here last Sunday, as we see El Elyon used in scripture, Isaiah puts it like this. He says that El Yan holds the universe in the span of his hand. So God holds the universe like this. And We did some math and we did some science last week and talked about how it would take us 91 billion years to get to the edge of what we call the known universe. Again, I'm not even sure what that means exactly. 91 billion years going 186,282.2 miles an hour. Got that scored on a seventh grade uh, science test. Won the little contest in the squirt gun full of grape juice. Nobody's with me on this one? All right. So 91 billion years it takes to get to the side of the universe. And like I said, if El Yan, if we did that, went 91 billion years at the speed of light, El Elyon would be standing there to greet us. And if we could somehow send somebody else to the other side of the universe, El Elyon would be standing there to greet us. That's who he is. He holds the world, excuse me, the universe in in the span of his hand. Okay, so I want to show you how this whole thing works, how this system works. You saw a moment ago that Elohim, um, spelled, you know, Elohim, um, okay, the L part, E L part of that, is part of is a shorter part of Elohim. So we use that L like we did. Could you pop L El Yon back up there again, Jared? So we see L El Yon. So that the L part is God, and the El Yon means most high. So, when we see words like that, when we see God Most High, we know that we're talking about L, L, Yan here. And we see other words too, and other ways that God uh, reveals that to us. So, all right, so the L's come up a lot more often than you think in the Bible, right? They're not hyphenated for us, but we're going to play a little game here and look at them. So, um, trivia contest, trivia here. um, And I don't have any suruji bars, but I'll get some for you later if you guys get this right. There are two angels that are named in the Bible. Can you name either one of them? Gabriel, 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 what? Gabriel, check it out. Gabriel means God is my strength. Gabriel. Who's the other one? The archangel, Michael, the archangel, Mike L, right? Means who is like God, not a question, a statement, who is like God. So it comes up, L comes up a lot more than, again, we would think and that we would recognize. But that's part of why we do this, so that when we read the Bible, we start to recognize these things that we talk about and we get shown to us here. Like, for example, Israel, right? Do you ever think about that Israel, right? That Israel means God prevails, or God is victorious, we could say. Okay, so those are the suffix, right? So if we flip it around and talk about the prefix instead of the suffix, we talked about this last week. Elijah, right? El-Ajah. Right? Means, God is my Yahweh. I mean, it's kind of amazing when you start looking at some of this stuff that's right in front of us that we just completely miss because we just don't understand the the language like these people do. And then right after Elijah the prophet, there was a man named Elisha. Elisha means, God is my salvation. Right? So again, when we see L coming up, either as a prefix or a suffix, we should look into it a little bit more and see what it is that we're dealing with. Daniel, right? Samuel, right? Now all these names, these are all names of people. An example that we are claiming God's promises. So tonight we're going to look at how God explains to us that he is the God who sees. And what we call him is El Roy. And yes, I did think about playing with the Jetsons here, but I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. El Roy, the God who sees me. Right? Because when we think about how huge God is, Right? Holding the universe that we can't even wrap our minds around. I mean, how big the universe is, let alone how big our solar system is. We have no concept of how big this is. You know, we think going to Shano is a long ways away. We think going to, you know, Minnesota is a long way. God starts talking about the universe in the span of his hand like this. Again, our little pea brains cannot wrap our minds around this. So now where this description of God shows up, El Roy shows up, is a very unlikely uh, unlikely place. It's in Genesis chapter 16 is where we first see it. Um, There's a man named Abraham. You guys all know Abraham, right? Father Abraham, many sons, many His wife, Sarah. Now, they've been promised a son. Let's leave that up there for a while, Jared. They've been promised a son. And God has made many promises to Abraham along the way here, right? God has made many promises to Abraham. God took Abraham to the top of a hill, and he showed him literally the promised land that Moses was going to lead his people over into. He showed Abraham this centuries before Moses even was thought of. Brought him to the top of the hill and said, all of this is going to belong to your descendants. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to, going to, have, it's going to belong to your, your, uh, your descendants uh, for eternity, forever. And Abraham said, that's cool. That sounds great. But here's the thing. He said, I don't, I don't have any descendants. He said, and I'm, I'm 75 years old, Abraham said. And he said, my wife has been celebrating her 29th birthday for 45 years now, if you see what I'm saying. Sarah's up there in age two. Sarah cannot have kids, not any kind of human way, right? God says to them literally... Be patient, and I will handle the rest for you. Now, Sarah isn't patient. Sarah is impatient. Ever been impatient with God? Did her own thing on her own time, not waiting for taking matters into her own hands? Well, that's what Sarah does, right? She's not getting pregnant. She's thinking, we need descendants. We must be the ones that need to help out God here because obviously he can't handle this. Again, it's not humanly possible for her, but she has this young maidservant, Egyptian maidservant. Her name is Hagar. And and Sarah thinks, somewhat logically, she wasn't thinking straight, but she's thinking, well, maybe if Hagar, my servant, has a baby from my husband, well, maybe then that's the descendants that were going to be there. That will really be mine. And, you know, that's just one of those moments where desperate times call for desperate measures kind of thing. So that's a plan. And somehow they've convinced themselves that that God needs their help, and this plan is going to actually work. I see, personally, zero flaws with this plan. I see a lot of flaws with this plan. So Abraham sleeps sleeps with his wife's servant. She becomes pregnant and immediately they see the flaw in the plan. Now, Hagar, in her defense, because sometimes she gets a bad rap, but she hasn't done anything wrong at this point, right? She's just obeying because she's a servant. She's been told to do this. She does this, right? But she starts to celebrate. When she realizes she's pregnant, she starts to celebrate the fact she's pregnant, and she starts to celebrate it basically in Sarah's face. Very disrespectfully is what the Bible says. So Sarah complains to Abraham. Guys, Sarah blames Abraham for the whole thing. He's like, whoa, wait a second. You know, I just trying to do your plan here, right? So she's blaming him for this whole mess. Abraham says she's your servant. Do with her what you will. Okay, that's where the story picks up here. So Sarah treats Hagar, following the story here, Sarah treats Hagar so poorly that Hagar leaves. She's pregnant and she just leaves. She goes out into the wilderness. She thinks, I'm just going to try to survive out here by myself, which is almost impossible to do. But she said, anything's better than what I'm going through here. So she goes out into the wilderness. And it's here that we all need to take a moment and sit in Hagar's place and walk around in her shoes for a minute. Because we've all been at that point, right? Kind of the end of our rope kind of thing, and kind of not being able to do it ourselves, not take another step ourselves in waiting for God to come along, right? And some, she doesn't even know that she's waiting for God to come along. But it's here that God reveals himself to Hagar, and again, to us as well. You can find all this in Genesis chapter 16. I suggest you go read that whole story. But verse 7 says this says, now the angel of the Lord, which is the same thing that it says when Moses was talking to God in the burning bush. Angel of the Lord found her, Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. And then God gives Hagar a command. Remember we talked about commands and promises? God gives Hagar a command and right behind it a promise. The command is this, he says, go back to your boss, basically. Go back to Sarah, go back to your master and do what she says. Even, and Hagar was like, I just got out of that mess. I really don't want to go back into it. And God says, no, go back into that mess, and I'm going to take care of things. And God promises her, he says, I'm going to multiply your descendants greatly, is what he says. And if that's not crazy enough, look at verse 11. He says, you're going to have a son, and his name will be Ishmael, what? Oh, right? Ishmael, because the Lord... Has heard your cry of, of distress. Ishmael means that God, had, the God who hears, right? So in this one little synopsis in Genesis, we get all these descriptions from God. He is the God who hears us. He is the God who sees us. Ishmael. Now, I guess I should have done that as a quiz based on everything you've understood, and that you could probably could have figured that out, right? My God will hear my cry. God hears our cry of distress, right? That's a promise. God hears our cry of distress. Right? And we go for God's commands and God's promises. So when we call to God, like Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you. Right? Is that a command? Right? Call to me is a command. And I will answer you is a promise. And tell you, he goes on to tell about the promise. I'll tell you amazing things that you have no idea what I'm going to tell you about. And God tells us who we should call to, what we should do. And then in Genesis 16, 13, the first part of that, back to Hagar, she answers God by name right? Praying to the God who spoke to her. He said, you are the God who sees me. You are El Roy. You are the God who sees me. Sometimes we get so caught up in what we're doing and we're thinking, you know, I'm the only one in this. And that's, one, that's Satan's best trick, right? That's his number one game plan, to isolate you, to take you out and to make you think that you're the only one that can handle this. You're the only one that's experiencing this. And you've got to be too ashamed to talk to anybody about it. And it gets you inside yourself even more and more and more, right? I think nobody can understand what's going on here. God says, I'm the one who sees you. I'm the one that is there for you. I am the one that created you. I'm the one that has always been, I'm here now and I will always be. I'm the one that can hold the universe in the span of my hands. You think you got a problem that's bigger than God who holds the universe like this? You better think again. And I don't mean that in a sarcastic kind of way. You should really think again. And so when I ask you what comes to your mind when you think about God, think about he sees me. right? He understands what I'm going through. Hebrews says we have a high priest that has done everything that we have done. We have a God that walked in this earth and the dirt that we walk in, breathes the air that we breathe, understands us. Right? He's not some distant, foreign, a complex you know, um, object that's somewhere else, you know, this abstract idea of something. No, this is a God who's here for us, that interacts with us, that walks around with us, that wants to hear our problems. Call to me and I will answer you. Right? I am the God who sees you. Sees us in our times of little distress, in our times of need. We think we got to do it on our own. we got to get ourselves straight, and then maybe we can come to God. God says, you know what? If we wait that long, you're never going to do it. Whatever mess you got, just leave it there. Take some of whatever. You, just let's handle it together. Call to me, and I will answer you. Because he knows our thoughts. He knows the thoughts of our minds. He knows the thoughts of our hearts. He knows who we are from the inside out. He's the God who sees you. He knows your story. And he knows how it turns out. And so then we can say with certainty what we had read earlier, Psalm 139, verse 1, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. And we can pray in confidence if we stay in verse uh, 139 rather than verse 24. This is a prayer, right? Hey Lord, see if there's anything in my life that you don't like. See if there's anything in my life that I gotta get rid of. Is it something I'm doing? Is it something I'm not doing? Is it somebody I'm hanging around with? Is it somebody I'm not hanging around with? Let me know, right? Help me live in the way that is always right, literally leading me down the right path. Right? That's what the ERV says here. Make sure that I'm not going the wrong way. This is a prayer, right? Lord, make sure I'm not going the wrong way. Sounds like a crazy prayer, but man, it's one that we all need to pray. Make sure I'm not going the wrong way. Lead me on the path that has always been right, that you've planned for me, that you created me to follow. And what do we do? We get off that path. We bump on over here. So we say, Lord, make sure I'm going the right way. Bring me back on the right path again. He's the God who sees us. He's the God who hears us. He's the God who takes care of us. And when we pray things like this, call to me and I'll answer, what are we supposed to call on? Things like this. So is that what comes to our mind when we think about God? The God who sees where I am, knows what I'm going through, knows how to get me back on the right path again. The God who hears my cry, right? Out of distress and answers me. The sometimes we think he doesn't answer me on my own time or answer me the way I wanted to hear it, and we kind of go the other way. But God says, no, here's what we're going to do together. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, right? Plans not for disaster but for good. Lead me on the path that has always been right. Literally take me down the path that leads me to you. That should be our prayer. Lead me down the path that takes me to you, to God. i got about 45 more minutes. You guys ready? Can I get an amen? All right, will you stand with me, please? Let's pray. So, Lord, again,